Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Casper De Witt. So Casper works with the Dutch Olympic team, specifically at Sports Central Papendal in Arnhem in the Netherlands. And there he combines his function as a strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist to lead the judo program to make sure that they're performing at their absolute best at the peak moments. And that means that he needs to translate complex data into easy to understand reports so that both athletes and coaches buy into his programs. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Casper onto the show. So Casper, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. So for those who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Sure, Matt. Well, uh, first off, I'm your uh, colleague at Papendal. Um, as of now, I work with uh, the judo program at the Olympic Training Center Papendal. Um, I'm an SNC coach there working with uh, the majority of the top athletes uh, with my team. And I'm also, uh, I function as a hybrid function with my uh, my science role. Um, I started out with sports myself, uh, rowing predominantly. Uh, later on, I, uh, I liked physical training a lot during my uh, studies. I first off studied um, neurobiology, but during these studies, I was already big into CrossFit and strength training. So I switched subjects and uh, I eventually did a master's in human movement science. Um, in the Olympic system, you get to work with a lot of sports. So uh, I worked with volleyball. I did the uh, Olympic archery team from the Netherlands for three years. And ultimately, uh, I ended up for the last two years in this hybrid role at uh, the judo program at Papadol, where I get to do both science and strength training and physical conditioning, um, the athletes there. And what, what does that then entail on a day-to-day basis? Because it sounds obviously, I, I kind of know what you're up to, but for, for everyone else who's, uh, who's not seen that kind of hybrid role, um, what does that mean mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis for your work? Well, um, first off, I started out as a strength trainer where I just provide progr- the, the athletes with programs for strength conditioning to make them more robust, more strong, um, the usual. Um, there was an opening for a, a science role. Um, with my background in academia, I was allowed to uh, uh, take that on. So what my job actually entails is, well, I do a lot of training with the athletes still, and I, I really like that. The testing we do, so think about uh, isometric mid-tie pulls, wing gates, just uh, golden standard testing. I also uh, do the, the the load management stuff, the digital systems, so I take care of that. And what I get to do is I uh, get to work with the coaches and the athletes, of course, and think of ways how to improve the program using my and my team's knowledge. So just improving the, the general structure of the program using data, technology, signs and just common common sense basically <laughs> common sense might not be so common for some people but uh it's certainly useful um, and that means that you've got a really good solid background in um the importance of data how to use it and how to actually make a difference with it as well so that's what we're going to go through today a little bit uh so first things mm-hmm. first then how important is data to the training process well that's uh, a really good question and the answer is something um people that listen to this podcast probably heard a million times over. It completely depends. So I'm going to relate this back to, for example, first judo and, uh, for example, benchmark data, because it makes it a bit easier to answer this question. So for judo, if you look at the 
sport, it's uh, a very complex skill sport. So competitive judo is, of course, fighting. It's a combat sport. And the skill is just uh, the most important. So if you have the best skill in judo, you can compensate for any lack of physical quality you might otherwise have. Skill trumps all. So uh, with judo being so dynamic and so complex, it's quite difficult to really pinpoint a physiological um, template that you should adhere to for this sport. Well, to maybe give an example, I'm not an expert on well anything really, but if you look at track cyclists, it makes a lot of sense for them to have a really strong wing gate peak power because they're really fast off the block, fast off the start, and they have a really high peak power. This makes a lot of sense to the athletes. With judo, and for example, science testing, as we do, as we, as we name it, um, it doesn't make as much sense. So, for example, if you test a judo athlete on a bike, on a V2 Max, or you make him do a, a wing gate test for the upper body, or you do a, some kind of strength test, it doesn't mean directly that they'll improve their judo performance. There's a lot of uh, certain styles and, and individuals that can compensate for certain shortcomings or that can really use a, a certain competency so well that they don't need other things. So the, the benchmarking or the, the needs analysis for the sport is quite broad and it makes it a bit more difficult for, um, for me, basically, the, the strength coach or the scientist to prove the importance of data and science. So... The way I go about it then is not say, not do tests and produce a PDF and say, well, this is the results, uh, good luck with it. The, the thing you do is I collect all the, te the, the tests, the data, we use it for the program for benchmarking to have a, a better view of what we're actually capable of and what we can move towards. But we mainly use it to focus on the athletes themselves. So... As we measure stuff for the athlete, we can use, uh, for example, a simple maximal aerobic speed test or a strength test or isometric mid-eye pool. We can use it and we can look at it and find it either too low or enough or maybe too high. And then we can, with the team, discuss if it's worthwhile to work on this. And if you get a consensus on that is something we might uh, try and improve for the betterment of the performance, then we use this test in the well in the process of the athlete, and then we explain to the athlete what what we're doing. And then suddenly, this boring test that doesn't really mean anything it does now some it does now mean something for this athlete in his or her story. And that's the way we use it, uh, basically twofold. We use it just to have the the data for analysis uh, later on and for the, the broad analysis for the program, and we use it for the athlete. And then when when you're then translating that to the athlete, what's the importance of that data to that person? And you kind of alluded to it as well, that it might not necessarily inherently make sense to them, but how important is that data to the athlete? Well, the thing is, is that I can generally say that most athletes or well, judo athletes don't really care about any sports science testing data generally so how do we then make it that then what it does actually mean something well i just said you can talk to the team and figure out what is probably a rate limiter and maybe work on that if you then say to the athlete well we spoke with everyone everyone and we really think that working on your 
uh, aerobic conditioning or lower zone uh, efficiency might be uh, helpful for your uh, your training status and you'll be able to more do more sparring to do to do more work recover better then you just well you, you get the, the athlete involved and you improve it through training interventions through snc and this way they'll understand what you're doing and they'll understand the training you that you prescribe for them and this way you involve the science the testing in the in the process and the, the data actually has meaning instead of just something we take from the athletes for our own purposes and they don't really see anything for it so that's then putting it into the context so the athlete might understand yeah um, but then how do we make how do we make that make sense to them when it might not necessarily directly transfer because obviously if you're saying okay you need to have a, a larger aerobic base uh, to recover faster um that might not necessarily inherently make sense to the athlete how do you make sure that they understand what's going on well this is a good question this is actually what your job is as uh, an embedded scientist or sports scientist or an SSC coach the athletes they aren't experts in their respective fields so and also often the coaches aren't so what you have to do is you have to look at this data and speak with the team and then um well, look at the level the athletes are and then explain to them how, for example, aerobic conditioning is going to help them perform. So, um, for example, if you have an athlete that we suspect could do a bit of extra work on aerobic conditioning, you'll either have to do more technical sessions, but usually you go and say, well, we do more uh, green or blue zone work on the bike or some other modality. But it's really boring. It doesn't really speak to the athlete. But if you then explain that by building these uh, metabolic systems, they'll be able to uh, you know, have a lower heart rate and they'll be able to tolerate more intensity in the training. Also, when they recover from the training, they'll have a speedier recovery, which means they'll get to do more judo. If you do more judo and you recover from it, you'll perform better. If you translate it into uh, the goal, what they're actually for, into performing in judo, and you're honest about it by, look, we're trying this and we believe this is a good option for you to help you perform in your actual sport. Then uh, nine times out of 10, you, you'll get a, a good response. And yeah, also be honest about it. It might just not work. <laughs> it's not always as simple as uh, do A and get B, obviously. Um, but it sounds like you basically said, okay, what are, what are your goals as an athlete? And then to, yeah. to try and relate this data back to the goals that they want. Um, and that might yeah. be a, a three or four step process to get there. But it seems yeah. like you're you're able to speak their language, which is super important. Um, yeah. And when, when we're then taking data... Obviously, um, sports scientists have this uh, innate ability to to take tons of tests and all of the data in the world. But how much data is then too much data? Because you can't just endlessly keep testing people, right? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, you really have to think about what your goal is as athlete sports staff, as either being the coach or uh, well, the scientist or the SNC coach. The goal is not to write programs or to do tests and to create PDFs with metrics on it. The goal is to help the athletes win by allowing them to perform better. And if you run a lot of tests and you give back a lot of metrics to the coach, for example, which he is not 
uh, well equipped to understand or implement. What you then don't want to do is really emphasize the the red numbers or the below average standards. You just want to say, well, looking at your style and looking at how you do judo and how you perform and how you want to be ultimately the best in your sport, we think that these things don't matter to you and these things are probably things we can work on. And then again, you take these metrics that don't actually mean anything, you take it into the story of the athlete and you make it mean something to them. You then just uh, try and improve, remeasure, and then see uh, if it made any useful impact. And because obviously then uh, there can be too much data, how do you know when to get rid of tests? When to get rid of tests. So actually with judo, I don't really run into this problem because first off, I'm really uh, cautious of doing too much testing because it will take away time and energy from the athlete. So if you don't have a solid reason for how you're going to use this data and uh, how the athlete is going to see anything back from it, then you've got, really got to ask yourself, do I want to test this? What happens if I get a, a bad test? Is Can I explain this to the athlete? Is it actually something that needs to be worked on? Are you just doing tests? Or are you trying to inform a process? That is basically the question you have to ask yourself. Um, You're basically having too much data when you yourself struggle to make sense of it all or to keep up with feeding this back to the the staff or the athletes. Then you have too much data and you really got to find a way to simplify it for yourself and the team. Because if you can't really keep track of it all, how can people that are not an expert at it. I think that's a a super interesting example. So you've gone through how uh, all of that data can be used, but how do you then use this data in your own practice? So lots of different scientific principles and and ways of doing things, but how do you then do this on a daily basis to improve your athletes? How do I contextualize that data? So for example, I've uh, explained on, that some tests don't mean everything to, for example, an individual judo athlete. So if we identified to the team that someone just needs to be stronger or more aerobically fit, we only give the data that is necessary for the athlete. Usually if you tell them we're going to improve this quality and we're going to do it by uh, this program and uh, good luck and uh, let's train, that's usually enough. And then you explain what you're actually trying to do to what purpose. Well, other data I might give an example on. Um, I, told, I spoke earlier about that we use data for the athlete process. So what I think we're quite good at at Papadol Judo Program is that we use a lot of the, the monitoring data really well for the process of the athletes. So, for example, we've got the usual wellness and load data, and we've got training quality data and lots of the usual stuff. And I think what we do with it, it makes it strong. So we don't just collect this data and look at a a large sheet of uh, where a red square is. And then we have to speak to some athlete about why they uh, slept well or not so well. Um, I really made an effort to uh, help the team understand what is actually the power of monitoring. And it's not to just collect the data and then uh, ask when something red blinks or there's an alert going. It is the data you collect is actually to help the athlete process. So what you do is the coach, for example, mostly the coach, 
uses this data to ask questions and to raise awareness. So, for example, why is every Wednesday morning training quite bad? Why is every Friday so good? Why is this training much better than the other one, even though it's basically the same? So then you get into questions about the training process on on how athletes are recovering, what kind of strategy are they using for nutrition, for uh, for recovery? How can we uh, um, make the the weekly plan better? These kind of questions actually make a big impact on how the on how the the athlete perceives well what we ask of them. I think that makes a massive difference as well when the athlete actually sees the the data being used in a way which positively impacts them. I can imagine that's very, very different to a situation where the person has filled in their wellness data for the last two years and has no idea actually where that's gone and who's used it for what reason. So I can certainly understand that you get a lot more buy into the process and a lot more understanding in that process as well. Um, sure. Before before we round up, I want to flip this to look from an athlete's perspective. And I want to know what your your kind of top tips are for athletes so that they can better understand the data which is being uh, either used or taken from them. Because it's it's one thing to say that the the coach and scientists uh, need to make sure that it's all in order and contextualize that for the athlete, but it's another thing for the athlete to to take it upon themselves to understand that. So, from an athlete's perspective, how can they better understand the data which is taken from them? Well, um, if you're uh, just an athlete in a program and you know that there's any testing done or people are collecting stuff from training, uh, data, metrics. I think it's really good if you just ask, for example, your coach or your scientist or your strength trainer, what is being collected and what is being used for? How does this impact me? Well, probably they have a really good answer to it. And if they don't, then you can ask, why are you collecting it? But I, I suspect that they, if they are collecting it and they go about the effort of collecting this data, they'll have a use for it. And if you, the athlete, uh, ask questions and you get the information and you have now the awareness of why this uh, data is being collected and what it's used for, then it's also, at the moment you know it, it's really helpful to you. Because first off, you're now more, now more invested in the program and you can then ask more questions, hopefully get more insight into how to actually help your own training program. So if you see testing being done or data being used, just ask questions, try to get an understanding, see how you can use the data for you, what is important, what's not. Yeah, well, basically my main takeaway point is that instead of being someone who produces PDFs and is just a guy that drops data, Especially if the, especially if the sport is highly skill dependent and there aren't really any strong physio- physiological correlates or uh, relations with data, then you really have to make sure that you're doing your job as an embedded scientist properly. So you really have to be seen to be heard. So invest in the relationships. You find out information from the athletes, from the coaches that you can probably easily approve upon for the betterment of the program, and. You'll also, they'll also be more um, inclined to actually listen to you if you, you show that you're truly invested instead of just some office clerk that drops numbers on them. Absolutely excellent. So, Casper, massive thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking, and uh, I look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. 
And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Casper for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really enjoyed it and I hope you did at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a massive series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to take your practice to the next level, be sure to hit the link in the show notes, which will get you seven days completely free in the Coach Academy. And all you have to do is hit that link in just a few seconds time. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could recommend the podcast to a coach, colleague, friend or athlete. And that means that we can keep spreading the good word of the podcast. And of course, you can help out those around you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.